Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 40th. That's That's crazy. crazy. That's so crazy. 40th episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Adam is here. Hi, Hi. Adam. How you doing today, Jill? I'm great. How are you? I've got Olympic fever. I know, right? Yeah. I, every single night this week and you know, last weekend is staying up way too late watching, even if it's the events that are pre-recorded. Right. We're still just super into it and very pro-America. I'm wearing bright red pants today. And <laughs> <laughs> just you are indeed. <laughs> such Olympic. I, I, I love how every four years I get way into things that I don't care about the rest of the time. Like Fair. Like just crazily cheering for handball on a sport <laughs> that I don't know like even a third of the rules about. At least swimming and gymnastics I know and I understand. Right. But yeah, some of the stuff I'm just like, man, that's a that looks like a really good run that they did on that on that race. They just yeah, really good times, I think. So <laughs> I may or may not be streaming the track and field events at my desk Are today. You? That's amazing. That makes me so happy. Oh, that's right, because they start today again. Track and field start today. Yeah. But um, okay. So speaking of gymnastics, yeah, very nice tell... job. Good transition. It's good. I know. I'm we're, working on that. We're good. Tell us about today's episode. We're so good at our jobs. <laughs> um, today's episode is an interview with author Megan Abbott who is super pro-libraries, and librarians really love her. She used to be a librarian, but the reason that it's timely is her latest book, You Will Know Me, is all about gymnastics. Um, It's a mystery. There's a lot of intrigue and things going on, but it's set on on the backdrop of this kind of world-class gymnast, and she's uh, training, and they think that she might end up making it to the Olympics, and... um, it's really good. It's it's very it keeps you guessing the whole way. Like I said, All there's right. a lot of something tragic happens with the gymnastics team and you have to kind of figure out what happened and why it happened and there's lots it made me feel very bad for all of the people who grow up as like oh, gymnasts no. i just it's almost like when you watch like that dance moms show yeah. you know, like you see like the people behind the little kids same thing she does an amazing job of portraying like the parents of the gymnasts and you'll sit there like oh some of you are terrible people and then I start thinking about the real gymnasts and hope it's not like that for them but um we had a uh, as usual a really fun conversation we talked about the olympics and I tell a pretty embarrassing story <laughs> um I got to meet an olympian a long long time ago and I'll let you guys listen to it in the podcast but um yeah I think people will really enjoy it and it worked out very well that it ended up being able to you know, provide it to our listeners during the Olympics. So hopefully they'll appreciate it. Good timing. That. Yeah. It's like it's almost planned. It's almost <laughs> like we plan these things in advance. Um, spoiler alert, we've been planning for, you know, the whole time this podcast existed. We're just finally getting good at it. So sometimes <laughs> sometimes it's more like serendipity. Yeah. Usually, usually we just plan like Harry Potter things during the Harry Potter stuff. But this one actually worked out where the Olympics were coming up. Yeah. And yeah, 
I think it was more her team wanting things to be scheduled this way. So. Fair. But we can take credit for it. Sure. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, how can people get a hold of us and find us and all that good stuff? <laughs> yep, I'm going to make you do this again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, our poor listeners. Um, you can find us on Facebook. Where else can they find us, Jill? <laughs> All right. So you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Jill doesn't want to say, if you didn't listen to our last podcast, Jill thought she said Twitter really strange, which she didn't, and now she's freaked out about saying it. <laughs> Thank um, you so much. <laughs> I know. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter if you search for Overdrive or Overdrive for Libraries will show up. You can interact with us there. Let us know what you're reading. We can offer you some uh, reading recommendations based on what you're enjoying. Uh, you can also email feedback at overdrive.com. We've got a ton of great emails lately from people telling us all about uh, how they're enjoying the podcast and how they're getting book recommendations for their book clubs and all sorts of fun stuff. So um, that's been really awesome to see, and you can keep emailing us. We read every one of those. Uh, also, if you go to overdrive.com, which is where you can find all the content available from Overdrive, you can sample and borrow all the titles that we talk about on each show we have full lists of all of the stuff there so have yeah. you have you recovered now <laughs> i've recovered we have uh, the same list in marketplace for our library partners mm -hmm. if they want to purchase any of the books and make them available for their end users yeah trying to make it as available as possible for right. you guys so um all right I, I think we should probably leave before you lose your mind again sounds excellent okay well i hope everyone is enjoying the olympics and i hope you enjoy this episode of the professional book nerds podcast Hi, everyone. This is Adam from Overdrive, and today I'm joined by Megan Abbott, the Edgar Award-winning author of several novels, including Die a Little and Bury Me Deep. Her previous novel, The Fever, was chosen as one of the best books of the summer by the New York Times, People Magazine, and Entertainment Weekly, and was one of the best books of the year from Amazon, NPR, and numerous other sites. Her latest novel, You Will Know Me, is now available. Megan, that's quite a mouthful of awards. First off, congrats, and thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be talking to you. <laughs> and so just at the beginning, would you mind giving our listeners a brief introduction to your latest novel, You Will Know Me? Sure. It's, um, it's about Katie, and she's the mother of Devin, who's a gymnastics prodigy. And she and her husband, Eric, they've sort of hoisted their whole life into their daughter's pursuit um, to reach the Olympics. Uh, and Devin is also part of this gym that's deeply invested in it, too. So it's this very impressionable situation. And then something bad happens, <laughs> and it kind of throws everything into chaos. But um, I will say no more to avoid spoilers. <laughs> that's a, that's actually exactly why I always have our authors give the introduction because I'm just terrified of starting a conversation with someone and giving something away, and then just having the author. That's right. No, and everyone's idea of what a spoiler is is different. So. I I feel the exact same way. I'm glad that we agree on that. Um, <laughs> So do you have a background with gymnastics, or is this something that was just more of a, a passion for you? Boy, I do not have a background in it. I have no athletic capacity <laughs> at all, even though I've written about sports a lot. Um, but I always watched, especially the, I was one of those you know, Olympic dilettantes who watched every four years obsessively. Um, 
And then I knew I wanted to write a book about a prodigy because those, those families really interested me. Um, and gymnastics seemed like a natural for me since I had this sort of fascination with it since I was a kid. So, so that's where I landed, and I kind of dove in from there. And I have to tell you, I have a, a fairly um, unique Olympic story that I'll, I'll tell you in a, a couple minutes here. But so since you didn't have a background in it, what was your research process like for the book, whether it was the gymnastic stuff or the uh, less than cheery things that happened a little bit later? I guess kind of take us through how this idea came about for you. Yeah, I mean, the early stuff was a lot about prodigies and parents and siblings and prodigies. I had read this wonderful book by Andrew Solomon called Bar from the Tree, which is about exceptional children of, di of different kinds, and one of the chapters among prodigies. So I started to read a lot about that and about how how differently power can operate in a family when, when there's a child who's very special um, and how everything can sort of shift in uncomfortable ways. And so that that was really interesting. And then for gymnastics, I read a lot of memoirs. Um, and that there's a lot of, a lot of former gymnasts and, you know, a few exposés of sort of uh, the dark side of the field. So I read that as well. And then I watched a lot of gymnastics. <laughs> it's really hard to describe, you know, if you're not in a visual medium. So I had to really... I had to get it enough to describe it for the reader. So that was that was definitely a process for me. And, and I have to tell you, so my wife and I both happen to be big um, Olympic gymnastics fans as well. So actually, as I was reading the arc of your book, I was we were watching the Olympic trials. So it felt, it felt very um, kind of convenient, and it was a nice little uh, tie in there for me. So was <laughs> was the fact that the book is coming out during an Olympic year, was that kind of planned, or is that just a clever decision uh, by you and your editors? Uh, I'd like to claim it was all my idea, but it wasn't. It was supposed to come out this year, and that was just a coincidence, uh, though I did, was originally inspired by the 2012, so, uh, but the, yeah, the, the, the book year was a coincidence, but then when we got down to the issue of the month, um, Another writer actually suggested to me, she said, well, isn't it going to come out right in time for the Olympics? And I thought, oh, my gosh, maybe it could. And my editor immediately agreed, thankfully. <laughs> so, so it's good luck. And so I, I just I just want to tell you this. I, it's fairly embarrassing in my end, but that's okay. That, that's what this podcast is for, I suppose, sometimes. So um, my I have two older sisters, and they both were um, gymnasts growing up. And so I was always kind of... In that world, they, they weren't anywhere near, you know, what your main character's talent is. But because of that, we were always watching the Olympics. So when I was 10 years old in 1996, I had a huge crush on Dominic Mochianu, which I think I think every kid who was 10, every boy, had that same crush. And so it was kind of a running joke in my family. My parents knew about it. And then I went to a college named John Carroll University in Cleveland, and Dominic Mochiano actually ended up going to our college. Um, so I saw her one morning in the cafeteria. I had just gotten done with the baseball practice. It was really early in the morning. There was no one around. And I went up and told Dominic Mochiano, I was like, this is going to sound really embarrassing. But I literally got to tell the person who was my first crush, who was famous, that she was my first crush. And she couldn't have been nicer about it. Um, oh, oh, thank goodness. Yeah, I was... I was yeah I was super nervous but she ended up being really nice and like she kind of 
hung out with some people who were like on the fringe of my group of friends. So I actually got to literally know Dominic Mociano a little bit just by complete happenstance. So, um, wow. yeah, it was just something where as I was reading your book, I was thinking about it. And then with the Olympic trials, I was like, you know what? I need to just kind of share this. You definitely do. That hers was one of the memoirs that I used for the book. She particularly interested me. And I, I you know, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> what a great story. I, I'm sure she was thrilled. Yeah, she she was incredibly nice. And like I said, it happened to be early in the morning after one of our baseball practices, which was like literally first thing in the day. And so there was never anyone around and because the cafeteria is always open. We actually, we would eat, well, you know, eat breakfast with her and it kind of became a running joke. But yeah, I will never forget the first time I, the first time I saw her, I was like, is that? Dominic Mociano and like sure enough we, we did like a creepy Google search real quick and we're like oh my god she's going to our college I'm gonna go say hello so it was definitely a is weird she, experience. Is she still doing gymnastics at, at Don Carroll? She wasn't um she's a little bit older than than I am but mm -hmm. she was um she was going there attending classes and um she and I think now she has um, a kid or some children who might be doing it. But no, at that point, she was just attending classes with her now husband. It was her fiance at the time was there. So, yeah, it was a... Uh, I didn't have a chance then. <laughs> yeah. And it all, and it, yeah. yeah, and it all worked out. Our ex actually met my, my wife at John Carroll. So everything worked out perfectly. And she, she knows this whole story, too. She thinks it's hilarious. So... Um, John Carroll's a magical place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. So, all right, that's my that's my Dominic Mociano Olympics sidebar that I had to share. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So you've written a number of books that are focused on teenaged characters, but I wouldn't exactly call them young adult per se. I, in fact, I, you have on your website one of my favorite descriptions for a book ever is for Dare Me. It's Fight Club Among Cheerleaders, which I think is perfect. <laughs> Um, what is it about this age that enables you to write these stories? Or maybe just, is there something in particular that you always like to use those character, that age for your characters? Yeah, I think, you know, I think, especially for girls, I think it's an underexplored area in adult fiction, at least. And because it's sort of a time that we figure out for both boys and girls who we are, you know, it's this weird, this endless transition. It's all this time of firsts and sort of constant disillusionment and and then all these like kind of big feelings you know it's where you, you know you don't have a lot of self-control uh you're operating a lot on you know blood and drive you know <laughs> so it's just a lot of uh it's a lot of yearning a lot of uh desire and you know aggression and all the stuff that makes for great storytelling so i think it kind of just feels like, you know, it's before the complications of the adult world kind of crash upon us, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's all kind of laid bare there. Um, so I think that's what's particularly interesting. And I think for, for girls in particular, though, I think there's good parallels with boys. The intensity of female friendships at that age is particularly unique. I don't think it ever happens again. And, and that's been an area that I've been really interested in. Um, you will know me as kind of different because... She's a Devin, the, the teenage girl, and this is so isolated. But um, but that also interested me too. What would it be like if you grew up without your peers, really? Mm -hmm. your, you know, your regular peers. Uh, and so so all that stuff. I don't know. It just feels like this great hinge in life, and I just love sort of exploring it. 
I think you're absolutely right. There's something about, um, you know, when you're writing a book, it depending on it, whether it's sci-fi or, or fantasy or a thriller or mystery, really anything, no matter what you make your characters, if you make them a teenager, we've all experienced that. You know, I, I'm not a, a wizard. I can't do magic. I am, you know, I'm not a, a doctor or a lawyer, but if you put someone who is a, a teenager in your book, I can relate because I've been a teenager and exactly. I think that's a really good way of looking at it. It's also a nice way to make sure that your pool of potential readers is very <laughs> large. Right, I don't want to narrow it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you see yourself ever in any of the characters that you write? You know, I never do when I start and, and in the end, I guess, like I, I've heard writers claim that they don't, but I, you're kind of deceiving yourself because you couldn't write them if you didn't, if there wasn't that element of yourself in them, you know, those are the characters that you end up surrendering early on in the draft process are the ones that you don't feel like you have any connection to or understand. Uh, so I think inevitably they all become, you know how they say that when in your dreams you're going to analyze your dreams, mm-hmm. everybody in your dream is you, not just you, um, <laughs> uh, uh, because it's a projection of you. I think that's true with books too. So. I don't do most of the things my characters do, thank God, <laughs> yeah. or I would be speaking from Riker's Island right now, but, but, uh, but I have to at least understand it, so there's a part of me that's in there, for sure. I think that, that's because you also want to be, I've never liked books where you feel like the author has contempt for one of the characters, mm-hmm. um, I just wanna, want them to have, you know, I always want to, you know, feel feel all the things you're supposed to feel, you know, a mix of feelings. So I got to kind of get under their skin. So in because of that, there's always part of me there. It sounds very egocentric, I suppose. But I think it also makes it a, makes it vivid somehow for the reader. Yeah, well, and I think it it's one of those, you, know, it, you write what you know, and obviously you know yourself better than, you know, than anyone else. That, that just kind of right. makes sense. Um, so with like kind of having yourself, I guess you could, say you're passively writing about yourself do you see characters whether it's on tv or in real life and do you ever kind of sit there and think like oh that that would make a good person in one of my stories you you know it happens without planning often sometimes with movies or tv shows i'll get inspired by something but the real people in my life i never plan to use them they often see themselves in the book, <laughs> so they're probably coming through in part. But no, everyone's always sort of wrong about how they're viewed by others. So it always takes this mix, you know. It's it sort of, you know, like it's never it's never a one to one ratio. Mm-hmm. But I often, if I want to kind of visualize a character because they're not coming to life for me, I'll think of a character in a movie that really resonates. Usually, an old movie that really resonates for me, and I'll use that as my is my mental picture for a while until that character starts to take on his or her own shape. That's probably a safer way of doing it too, because you don't want to have like your close friends and family always like walking on eggshells, <laughs> like, oh man, what am I going to say that that Megan's going to put right. in this book? There are some writers who do do that, but they're they're bolder than I. <laughs> <laughs> so for your writing process, are you uh, the type of person who's like a strict word count writer for your daily kind of like writing process, or do you keep writing hours that are specific i guess just kind of take us through when you're writing a book what what's that like for you yeah i used to do that uh when i thought for the first couple of years because uh, because i had a full-time day job and i had to really i was never going to get anything done if i didn't have 
you know, that kind of discipline that it was, you know, I, I follow rules. So once I established a rule, I think I started with something like that I was going to write, you know, 3,000 words a week or something I was writing on the weekend. And, uh, and I did that for quite a while. And then gradually I, you know, advanced in somewhat. And uh, um, and then I had these deadlines that sort of took the, you know, like I didn't need the, the, the count anymore because these deadlines became so pressing, you know, mm-hmm. that they kind of replaced it for me. Um, and now, you know, there's just things you figure out about yourself. I was just talking to another writer about this. Like, I know that I have to be at the computer first thing in the morning, and I can't make any plans for the entire day. Um, and that's really, I'm very strict about that because if I do, if I'm having lunch with someone at noon, I'll stop writing at 10.30 <laughs> and think about what I'm going to have for lunch and, you know, and what am I going to wear? And then, and then when I come back from lunch, I'll, you know, be sleepy because mm-hmm. I have a nice meal out, you know. So I can't do anything. Um, so I'm there at the computer for six, seven hours a day, but I'm not writing that whole time, but I have to sort of be trying the whole time, and that, that's the most discipline that I have, and I'm always trying, and I write every day for that reason. I think that um, I, otherwise I feel like I would lose it somehow, that it's somehow this elusive thing. <laughs> I have to say, that's that's very impressive. A lot of the authors that I've spoken to, they always talk about their writing process, and I give very jealous I, I love my job but i'm in an office every day and in my mind they're like you know they kind of have this whimsical life which i'm sure it's not true but like they kind of come and go as they please and they they write whenever the inspiration hits them and more often than not it's more kind of what you described like it's it's i don't want to call it an office job but you have to be diligent and keep that that strict schedule so I, i'm very impressed that i don't know that without someone kind of looking at me and saying sit here and write i don't know if i could do that for six or seven hours a day so that's very impressive well, thank you, but you, I mean, yeah, just as you can for your job, if this became your job, you would, you know, I think you're exactly <laughs> right, you know, you have to show, supposed to show up for work, you know, so you go to work and you're, you don't just leave, <laughs> you know, you don't just say, oh, it's 10 o'clock, I think I'm going to, you know, go for a massage, <laughs> you know, so I think, yeah, I've always been workmanlike about it, and I think I was, it would be great if I could just sort of sit down for a half an hour, oh, I'm going to write 2,000 words, but just it just isn't that way for me, mm-hmm. I got to I gotta be uh, tough. <laughs> so, um, did you always know that you wanted to to be a writer and to write books for a living, or I guess you know what did you kind of what what did you do before you were a full time writer? Boy, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't really. Well, my father's a writer, and now my mom is too. But, but for some reason, I thought that uh, it was it seemed impossible. You know, um, it it just uh, seemed too remote a dream so I kind of backed into it uh, I got my PhD in literature and was teaching a little and was doing working for a nonprofit and then I just uh, sort of fell in love with the these crime novels I was reading to complete my my uh, thesis and then I just started writing one on the side and it just kind of took over and eventually I was able to to leave the, the day jobs um, for the time being at least <laughs> and, uh, and uh, so I really I did kind of back into it I wish I, I mean I always wrote but I don't know I just uh, lack of the sort of confidence to believe that could make it happen and I don't think that's that's rare I, I think the people who boldly say like yep I was always going to be a writer like that is that's some that takes some some nerve to be able to just be that completely confident. So I think you're yeah. probably in the majority there. <laughs> um, so when you aren't reading or writing, or of course watching the Olympics, how do you like to how do you like to spend your free time? 
Uh, I'm a big movie lover. I think that was, in in many ways, after books, my earliest love. So that's never gone away. Um, it didn't really inspire me. I have This is a little cheat on my writing day, but I only do it about once a month, once every three weeks maybe. I go, <laughs> like if I'm having trouble with uh, something I'm writing, I'll go, I call it the Don Draper move because of a madman because he used to do this. Like, I can't, I'm trying to solve this problem, so I decide to go to a movie in the middle of the day. And mm-hmm. I'll go to a movie, and it will somehow, um, you know, knock something loose in my brain, especially if it's a horror movie. Something that requires, you know, something that's very, you know, it's very intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's a big, that's both a pleasure for me and a, and a workplace thing. So that that's big for me. And of course, like everyone else, there's a lot of, um, TV shows I'm sort of in love with now, so so that that's something else I like to do. Sure. Um, all right. So Overdrive is a library company. I I always like to you know give a bunch of library love on all of our podcasts. So I, I'm always curious. Do you have a first or a favorite memory about libraries, whether it's growing up or or recently? Just I guess anything that you think of fondly when you think of libraries. Yeah, it's really my first memory of books. My parents, when I was a kid, they used to take my brother and me to our local branch, the Rose Point Woods uh, branch of the uh, library in Michigan, and we would go to at least twice a week. And I remember that a lot. They just remodeled it. It's not the same. I was just back there. But I remember it so distinctly. I remember we were allowed to get as many books as we were allowed to check out, you know, and we would have a big stack of them, and we would bring them home, and we would look at, you know, my brother and I would look at what, you know, each other got, and uh, that was really where I spent most of my childhood. Eventually, I got a job there when I was like, 12 or 13, um, and then I worked uh, in libraries in college, and so I was really a lifer, you know, and I still, <laughs> I still use the New York Public Library, especially the uh, mid-Manhattan branches I go to all the time. So what were some of the books that you remember reading when you were growing up? I loved um, Encyclopedia Brown mm-hmm. <laughs> and The Great Brain. I loved these books um, that my mom uh, had turned me on to called the Betsy Tacy books. And these were set in the turn of the last century um, about these girls in this Midwestern town. I read all of those. And, and then eventually I got really into ghost stories. You know, I really liked those um, and uh, and then I was always interested in history, so the ghost stories were historic. A, a lot of those, like I used to go back in time, and that eventually led me to to you know really scary stuff. But that was later. <laughs> crime, crime fiction came later. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, how about now? Who what are some of the the books or authors that you enjoy write, uh, reading? You know, when you're not writing and and all that good stuff. Uh, I love uh, in the crime world, which I still read a, obviously a lot of. I really love Kate Atkinson. I love her non-crime fiction too. Um, Laura Lippman. Um, I love those. I read a lot of true crime, um, mm-hmm. especially now there's a lot of really good true crime, but I like the schlocky stuff too. I <laughs> um, and I read a lot of biographies too. Um, and then I like sometimes I'll go through a binge of a writer that I had never hadn't read all of, like Shirley Jackson. I just read a ton of her, her stuff. Um, so, so those are some of the big favorites. So I'm, I'm always curious when someone says that they're like um, biographies, not to put you on the spot, but do you have a, a favorite or one that you really, you love recommending to people? 
Yes, I well, I I ha, I'm working my way through the a couple multi-volume ones, and one that everybody knows that's read it, but the Robert Caro LBJ biography, mm-hmm. which I, I'm only two volumes in, but uh, <laughs> it's just as great as everyone says. And, and I'm also reading, and then volume three just came out. I just finished it. The Simon Callow's Orson Welles biography, mm. which is a great exploration of Hollywood history, and he's such a big, fantastic character. So those are two favorites. Nice. Okay, so towards the end of all of our podcasts, I like to ask everyone that I'm interviewing um, nine questions. I call them the Nerd Nine because I love alliteration. <laughs> um, so these are just going to be rapid fire. Um, you can't think about them too too long. It's just the okay. first thing that comes to your head. Okay. So the first one is, what's the last book you read? Oh, uh, biography of Shirley Jackson. Next. Favorite place to read? Oh, gosh. Um anywhere at all <laughs> <laughs> that works uh what's your favorite guilty pleasure uh, real housewives <laughs> <I'm Bravo. laughs> um one place you'd like to travel that you haven't yet been to mexico favorite holiday christmas all right you touched on this a little bit earlier but what's your favorite movie oh boy number one Oh, that's tricky. I'm going to go with Double Indemnity. Ooh, you do like old movies. That's a good one. (laughs) Um, Cats or dogs? Uh, Dogs only because I'm allergic to cats. (laughs) That's totally fair. Um, Favorite food? Uh, uh, Oatmeal. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. That's my favorite answer ever. Um, and then the last one if you could have dinner with one person dead or alive who would you pick oh boy what a great question Raymond Chandler he's my favorite mystery author well done see you you tore through those not a problem at all <laughs> I'm very in touch with my instincts <laughs> apparently yeah right. the one is a little embarrassing mm-hmm. if I could retract that and say something like fish taco <laughs> <laughs> that's okay I admitted my first crush and my story of that's meeting right. her so I think we'll, you're okay it's with true. oatmeal it's true. I'm glad you didn't ask me my first crush <laughs> <laughs> that would be me I don't want to ever turn people against me towards the end of a podcast <laughs> um, okay just one last question before I let you go what do you hope people take away from reading your stories hmm. i mean most of all uh i want them to enjoy them but i do one thing i do think about a lot is that um that you know that complication is okay um that, that my characters are kind of messy i love books characters who are messy and that it's okay to explore the other the dark side and that it actually can be can be kind of illuminating um so i guess i hope they think that and that, that no one's black or white that everybody is in between i completely agree megan thank you so much for joining us today thank you so much this was so much fun readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from overdrive.com and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 